If you turn with me to the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 1, 2, and 3. We're going to look at all three chapters. And so if you're not familiar with where Habakkuk even is, it's a small book, three chapters. It's towards the end of the Old Testament. Jonah, Nahum, Habakkuk. If you come to Malachi, you've gone too far. Hopefully you'll get that marked in your Bible because we're going to be there at least three weeks. If you do not have a Bible, we invite you to take a black Bible that's in one of the chairs. It's 785. And if you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to take one of those black Bibles, put your name in it, make it your own, use it. Um, it's the same translation that I will be preaching from, which is the English Standard Version. And we invite you. We're glad you're here. I, I want to encourage you. I, if you haven't got one of these, you, they, they were in all of the bulletins last week. It's Thanksgiving Daily Devotions. It's for the month of November. There's still more of them on one of the tables right outside here. We'll, we'll have more for you. We'll probably even send it out in an email. If you follow this reading... Every day, you'll read about five or six verses on a passage that will have some connection to giving thanks unto the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. And we're going to do that. You'd, you'd be reading on that every day in the month of November with Thanksgiving here. And four times, so four times in a month, you'll read this small book, the book of Habakkuk. What does a mature faith look like? We are called faith church. Very common label or name for a congregation. But what does a mature faith in you look like? And how does it get there? Is it possible for you or I to have such a living faith, let's, call, let's, let's use a different word, a God, so that no circumstance that happens to your life, nothing that happens and comes into your life can shatter a happiness, a joy, a comfort that you have in God that is real and lasting no matter what hits you. Is it possible for you and I, is it possible for a congregation of brothers and sisters, young and old, that gather together, they form what's called the body of Christ, to have that kind of faith that is shatterless, no matter what happens. That the joys that we have in God, though you take all these things away, I can sing... All I have, hallelujah, all I have is Christ. With a smile on my face because I mean it. Of course, this, these questions will test, cause us and really test our definition of what is happiness and what is joy and what are the grounds and reasons for our joy and our happiness. Can we actually live in an evil world surrounding us? And frankly, if we open our eyes and look around, we're going to see evil and pain and hurting and suffering. Can we, can we live in that world with eyes wide open and still have peace and joy and comfort? Well, 
That brings us to the book of Habakkuk, a three-chapter book or a prophecy, or you could call it a psalm in some ways, or a prayer, or a song, and I'm going to call it a lament, the lament of Habakkuk. We don't know much about this man named Habakkuk, except that he was a prophet of God. It says that in verse 1 of chapter 1. And he, give, he is given by God a message or oracle that he saw from God. It's a different kind of message. He put it into a song because we look at the very last word or phrase at the end of chapter 3, and it says, to the choir master with stringed instruments. And so some would say it's the last part that was put into song, maybe that last chapter, maybe chapter 3. It could be that all three were put into song as they actually sung Habakkuk. And in this song or lament or book or whatever you want to call it, this man named Habakkuk has a conversation with God about the mess that's all around him. Do you look around and see a mess? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. There's a lot of good things. There's a lot of things that you might say, I'm just so thankful for. But if we open our eyes and we look around enough, we're going to see mess. We're going to see pain. We're going to see suffering. We're going to see trial. And it's going to happen even into our own lives. We're going to experience that pain. I want you to join me in meditating on this little prophetic book or song or lament in the month of November. And I'm going to preach it for the next two Sundays, so three weeks in all. And if you follow this reading plan, like I said, you'll read it at least four times. And I hope that these messages will help bring to life your own reading of these passages. In fact, you can read all three chapters in one setting. It, it literally takes you, if you read slow and out loud, it would take you about 11 minutes to read all three chapters. They're, it's not long. I timed it. So let me help you this morning see the forest view of this book that sometimes you read it first, it's, you read it by yourself, you might go, I didn't really get it. There's poetry here, there's imagery, imagery here. They seem to be referencing other things and I'm not sure what he's talking about. I caught that. There's a phrase that makes a little sense. I think I can park on that. And so I hope that by God's grace, I can help all of us See this, the forest view of Habakkuk, meaning let's, let's go up in a tower, let's look down and see the whole forest, and then maybe look at a few clusters of trees, really important trees that are in this Habakkuk, um, that we could glean and help our faith. And before I do this, I want you to have this in mind. The book of Habakkuk is a unique prophetic book that shows us the maturing faith that trust that trusts humbly and persistently in God. This is a unique book that actually we sit and we watch, if we, if we watch carefully, a man who's, who's been given this prophecy and writes it down, that's the prophet Habakkuk, we watch him grow in his maturity of faith from weaker in faith, he was already strong in faith in some ways, And he grows to a whole different level. 
Do you realize that's the nature of faith? If you, I'm, I'm, I'm expecting you're here this morning at some level on the spectrum of faith. You might be at a place where you don't have any faith in God right now. You don't trust him. It's, you're, you're just in a really difficult place in regards to God. And that's, that's a bad place to be in life. And, or you might have, by God's grace, are at a place where your faith in God has matured. It is grown. It's been strengthened. It is God's intention in this life to grow a people, to have a solid, steadfast, mature faith in Him. So, and Habakkuk shows this, shows us that. So I want to give you, it's not in your notes, but I'm going to put it up on the screen. I'm going to have them in the notes next week. I want us to have a phrase because you see, faith in God is often future-oriented. Like, so God says he's going to work all things for my good, Romans 8, 28. That means I'm going to trust him that in the future he's going to take care of me. If so, if this bad calamity happens and I get cancer and I, have, I receive a death sentence, 12 months, that's all you have. Or if something else happens, I'm going to believe that God is good and he loves me in the future and he's going to take care of me. I'm going to have faith in his future help or grace in my life. So I'm going to give you this definition. I don't, I don't know if you can see it well. Faith in future grace. I learned, I learned this from John Piper. And it's being satisfied with all that God promises to be for us in Jesus. I want you to think of that. It's worth writing it down. If, you're, if, if you have a phone, it's worth putting down. It's worth putting in on your Facebook status and just praying that you'll live that out. It's worth, if you're on Instagram, if, if you have it, put it in your Bible. Faith in future grace, the faith that you and I need to have to grow from here Barely trusting God or not trusting Him at all to being at a place where we are growing and matured. It is being satisfied with all that God is for me and promises to be for me in Jesus. It is this illness. I'm still satisfied because God promises to be everything for me in Jesus. He'll never leave me or forsake me. He's going to take me home. I don't have the money I need. It's okay. God promises to be everything for me in Jesus. I'm lonely. I'm struggling with this. But yes, I'm learning that I'm satisfied in all that God promises to be for me in Jesus. With that in mind, that definition of being satisfied in God, not in temporal provision. Being satisfied in God, not relationship. Satisfied God, not in money. Not in pleasure, but in God alone that is the matured faith in future grace. Now, with that said, let's look at Habakkuk. And the way I want to do it is look at, divide it up into five sections, maybe five scenes, five, five divisions, five sections. And so let's look at that. And so you have them in your notes. If you had a bulletin, it's on the back page. And I'm, you can see them here up on the screen. We have Habakkuk's burden or lament. Um, Habakkuk's answer. Habakkuk's lament to God's answer, God's answer in a vision, and Habakkuk's song or prayer of response. So let's look first of all at Habakkuk's burden 
I, I, I wrote it down wrong. It's not burden. It's burden. Habakkuk, you'll remember that now. So it's Habakkuk. Bur- so let's walk through this Habakkuk, okay? So Habakkuk begins with his burden or lament or his cry out to God. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, verse 1. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear or cry to you, violence. And you'll not save. And why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Really what we have this godly faith-filled man, Habakkuk. He's the prophet in Israel, one of them. And by the way, he's at, during the time of Jeremiah the prophet. It was at the time before Babylon invaded. And in fact, it was when Assyria had taken Israel, but Judah was still with a king. But they were wicked. Jerusalem had become a place of wickedness with just a few godly people there. And Habakkuk is one of them. And he's looking around and he's saying, God... Those who are faithful, they're being treated so badly. It's so unjust. It's not fair. It's wrong. God, you're a God that's just. And what's happening is people that are following your law are being made fun of. They're being imprisoned. They're being degraded. They're losing possessions or even being killed. And and you know who's getting rich? All these false people, liars. There's abuse happening everywhere, and it's happening under the name of God. This is terrible. God, why aren't you going to do something in your people? What what starts out, Habakkuk says, how long, God, are you going to do this, and why? And here, God's people, God's people are wicked, and the the few who are godly are being treated really bad, and and, and he's, he's saying, God, it seems like you don't care. Where are you? Injustice is winning, and yet you are just, so what gives? He's lamenting. That's a lament. It's a cry out to God, asking God, why and please help. I'm going to say more about that at the end. That's, That's scene one. God, why are you doing this? So then we move to number two, God's answer. That's verses 5 through 11. 5 through 11, God says this. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I'm doing a work in your day, your days. You won't believe it if I told you. He's going to tell. It's a way of speaking. It's a poetical set. You wouldn't believe it. It's unbelievable. But it's... But believe it, because it's coming. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. And he goes on, and he describes to Habakkuk this wicked nation coming swiftly and quickly. He's going to swallow up your people, Israel, and he's going to judge. So here's, let me put it in this words. God says this, Habakkuk, Here's my answer to your how long and why. 
don't worry, I'm going to judge the evil. I'm sending the Chaldeans. Namely, that Chaldeans are the Babylonians. Think Nebuchadnezzar, the wicked king who came in and eventually destroyed Jerusalem and brought Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, brought them into the land of Babylon. Babylon. He says, just he says, here's my answer to your prayer right now of why and how long. I'm going to act, just wait. I'm going to do it in due time, and I'm sending the Babylonians to judge these wicked people that you're, you're frustrated about and what's really evil. Just wait, it's coming. So we move to scene three. Habakkuk laments to God about God's answer. So in verse 12, we pick up, and we go all the way to chapter 2, verse 1, where Habakkuk says, God, are you not from everlasting? Oh my God, my, the Holy One, we shall not die. Oh Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O oh rock. See, there's faith. He trusts in God. He's struggling, though. You have established them for reproof. Look at verse 13. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. And then he describes the Babylonians and what they do. So, so here's, so let me set the frame for you. So Habakkuk says, how long, God? Why are you allowing the wicked to flourish in this land? Why are you letting Israel, why are you letting God's people be filled with wickedness? And God says, don't worry, I'm going to judge. And by the way, I'm going to send the Babylonians to do it. And Habakkuk says, God, you're righteous, but permission to speak? He's not happy. The Babylonians? Question mark. They're worse than us. I, I complained about the evil in the land of Israel, in Jerusalem. The Babylonians make our wickedness look like child's play. They, they're nasty, of all nasty. They, they're, they're, they're an enemy. Why would you do that? Your eyes are purer than anything. You can't look upon evil. At, you're holy. Why would you let something so unclean like these Gentile nations come and devour your people that you promised? It doesn't make sense. So I want you to think of it this way. Habakkuk asks God for help, cries out for an answer. God says, I will bring deliverance. And yet, he answers him with an answer that Habakkuk didn't like. Have you ever prayed to God, and God answered, and you didn't like his answer? Habakkuk didn't. He struggled with it. How has God answered prayers in your life in ways that you didn't like? All right, and are you currently displeased with God's plan in your life? I think for Habakkuk, he was not happy or satisfied with what God was doing he was right to be sad and grieved and lament what's going on in the evil and even be concerned that the Babylonians would come and destroy. That moves us to chapter 4, or not chapter 4, section 4. 
or stay. Look at verse 2 of chapter 2. We find God's answer in a vision. So God in His grace answers Habakkuk. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. If it, it hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. He's talking about Babylon. Behold, his soul, the, the Chaldeans that are going to be the punishment, is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol, like death he has never enough. And let me just explain to you what he does. God answers him, and then he says, he says, he gives five woes to Babylon. This is prophetic talk. Woes were this condemnation, curses. They, are, they will be cursed because of their sin. So what God is saying, I'm going to use the Babylonians to judge Israel, but their comeuppance is coming. Their judgment is coming too. Woe to Babylon, and he gives five woes. And each woe, he says, this is what they're doing wrong. This is how I will punishment. And after two sections, he gives us something about his glory. And so if you, I encourage you to read that as you read chapter 2. And he says they're full of injustices. Well, that injustice will come to an end. Come to an end. They're full of idolatry and they worship idols that are, they can't, they're silent. Those idols can't even answer them. And, and they're not going to answer them and they're going to be brought to silence. In fact, I'm going to make them drink of the wrath of my fury and they're going to be drunk with my wrath. It's an imagery of prophecy. I am going to judge these Babylonians who judge you first. I am in control. But I want you to look at verse 4 again with me. Look at verse 4. Behold, his, I'm going to fill in Babylonian, Babylon. Babylon's soul is puffed up. Maybe we could say Nebuchadnezzar, the king that comes up. It is not upright with him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. The wicked will be made fat by their pride for the day of judgment, but the godly, the just, the justified will live by faith. Literally, what God is saying here in verse 4 is the godly are the just. They're the justified. They've been justified by God. By putting their faith in God, just like Abraham put faith in God and God counted, him for, God counted to Abraham as righteous. If you're here and are saved, you are declared just and justified. Not based on your good works, but based on God's righteousness of his providing a means for you to be, have your sins covered by sending his own son, Jesus, who died on a cross. He, the perfect son of God, who is a sacrifice for everyone who believes the promise that is too good to be true, but is true, that God forgives and makes his own those that believe upon him. And, and we are justified. In verse 4, it says, the justified by faith live. And that word by faith means by steadfast trust live. God's going to say to the prophet, 
I'm going to teach you to grow in this truth that my people who trust me through steadfast trust in me, they're going to live and they're going to keep going on. And you're going to continue on in this, this trial. And yet I'm going to be there for you. Now, in the midst of these woes, these judgments upon this wicked nation that's going to come, Babylon, we get two perspective-shaping truths. Look at verse 14. In the midst of all these curses that are going to be upon the people, he says this, verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. What a beautiful passage. That is an underlinable passage. You need to ponder that. In the midst of all of this trial, of all this judgment, God breaks through and gives a glimpse of his glory. He wants us to rise up above the trees again and see all the perspective of suffering and saying, Habakkuk, what I'm doing here is something bigger than you can ever imagine. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I am going to bring the knowledge of my glory with my justice and my holiness and my redemption and my salvation. It's going to cover the entire earth in a way. And this suffering will be worth it. And you're going to look back and you're, going to, you're not going to lament it anymore. You will rejoice in my glory. And it is going to come. And I have a bigger purpose. So hold on. The just through steadfast trust, will live. By faith, will live. He ends this section of saying, the wicked will not go unpunished. He ends with verse 20. Look at verse 20. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. The Lord is in his holy holy temple. He is righteous. He is holy. He is perfect. Yes, he will for a time allow wickedness to prevail, but he is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him because he will judge. You better come to grips with it because it is coming. And in this moment of God's answer to Habakkuk, something happens Because we then move into our last section, which is all of chapter 5, where Habakkuk gives a song of response, a prayer of response. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shiganoth, which I'm not sure what that means. It's probably a musical term of lament. You actually find it in Psalm 13 from David. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Ever need to pray that prayer in wrath? God, your wrath is coming here. But in wrath, remember mercy. And then he gives a declaration of God's greatness. And in chapter 3, we find Habakkuk praying and praising. In fact, you could divide it up into three ways. In verses 2, he cries for mercy. Faith Church, we are a people that need to cry for mercy. Two, he declares God's greatness. And from 3 to 15, he declares how great God is. He remembers God's work of old, how he scattered, he divided the seas. He's referring in some poetic language to the 
Red Sea and to the Exodus and to the stories in the book of Judges and in the book of Joshua. He's saying, God, you did all of these mighty things. You marched through the earth. You brought judgment to the nations. You pierced with your arrows. You are the mighty warrior over all. You caused the sun and the moon to stand still in place. You are God. And then he ends with a beautiful resolution of trust in verses 16 through 19. So let's go there as we wrap up. Look at verse 16. Remember what Habakkuk has just gone through. Things are really bad still in Israel, in in Judah, in Jerusalem, his hometown. The, The wicked are prevailing. They're winning. He cries out for God's help. God says it's going to get worse before it gets better. In fact, a very evil nation is going to actually destroy all of you guys, or at least it's going to judge your nation and take it into captivity. And he says, but, but I'm also going to punish Babylon, and I have a bigger purpose in mind, and I'm going to, save the, I'm going to do a great work in the world, and let all the earth... So how in the world does he move from how long, O God, and why to verse 16? As he says... My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. He's being honest. I'm still, I'm still overwhelmed by this truth I just heard. But look at verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, and the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no fruit, food, and the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer. He makes me tread on high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. So I just want to end with really three words, three challenges to you, us all as we go into a study of Hebrew of Habakkuk the next two weeks. In fact, I want to cover some of these in the next two weeks deeply. Just I'm going to cover, go over them sh- briefly. Faith Church, we must lament. Faith Church, God is both sovereign and just. And three, Faith Church, faith in God is our life. Faith in God is our life. I pray that God in his mercy will teach us that in the book of Habakkuk. I do believe he intends us to grow and mature in our faith as we learn to lament, understand his sovereignty and justice, as well as that faith in God is our life. So we as a people need to learn to lament. We sing songs of praise. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Psalm 34. But we also cry, how long, O Lord? When will you come? We need to engage into the sufferings of those around us, so much so that we will cry out, how long, O God? When will you deliver? And what we find here, and we learn from both Habakkuk and from, read the book of Psalms, and you'll find that maybe a third of the Psalms are laments. They're cries out to God. And why would God do that other than to teach us that in this life, this life where we are in the school, schoolhouse of faith to grow and mature, to be educated in our faith, we are going to be put in positions where things are bad 
and we're going to have to lament to God. So let me say it this way. You and I in this world live in a world that requires us to lament. And God has welcomed us to lament. I love what one preacher says. Lament is how you live between the poles of a hard life and trusting God in his sovereignty. Say that again. Lamenting to God is how you live between the poles of the hard life and trusting in God and his sovereignty. I mean, if, if, you, if, you're, if you live long enough and you have your eyes open enough and you have a heart for God enough that you see that if anybody is not if trusting God, they're in a bad place and they're going to go to hell if they haven't been saved, your heart is going to be burdened enough to lament. You're going to lament your children or your family, meaning you're going to say, oh, God, how long will you come and rescue my son? Will you rescue my daughter? Oh, God, will you come and do a work in my neighborhood? Oh, God, I drive through Flint and it's dangerous. I mean, Matt works in Flint every day and he knows and has dealt with the scenes of murder day in, day out. And he sees the corruption and he sees the pain. We all see it on our news. We should cry, oh God, how long? Oh God, come and bring mercy. Cause righteousness to come through Jesus Christ. Oh, bring your gospel and change people's lives. We need to be a lamenting people. We're not only a lamenting people. We are a praising people. We are an adoring God people. We are a trusting God people. But surely in this world, we must be lamenting people. And it is in lament that we move from how long, oh God, to as God shows us his character, as God works in our lives, where we're able to say, the Lord is my strength and therefore I am to rejoice. He is the joy of my heart, even though I face the loss of all things. Though the fig tree should not blossom, though there be no fruit on the vines, though there's no cattle in the stall. His point is, it is the dark, cold winter where there is no food available to you and you have no provision. Everything that you thought would make you happy, secure, or satisfied is stripped away. And he says, yet I will rejoice. I'm invincible because my faith in a good God who loves me has, has captured my heart now. He is good. How do we get to that? I'd say that one of the ways is we biblically get on our knees and lament with this Bible in our hands and with a community of people surrounding us and helping us to lament with God's promises. Lament can be defined as a loud cry, a howl, or a passionate expression of grief. In the Bible, it's often how long or where are you? What are you doing? If you love me, why is this happening? Sometimes it's from individuals in the Bible. Sometimes it's a corporate group. It's a path, though, from pain to praise. That's the first thing. The second is just this. God is sovereign, and he is just. I, I do not have the philosophical answers to why little children are abused or killed. I... I have adopted aunt, nephews and nieces where some of them had, because of their biological parents, one twin, one of them was a twin, and their twin was murdered by dad. Um, 
we, we all can imagine some of the worst atrocities, and we think of them especially to the most innocent children. And I think we, we go there because it seems injustice. Why, oh God? I don't know why. He doesn't tell us why. But what he does tell us over and over again in his word, that he is righteous and just. He is in control, and someday he's going to bring complete justice, and he's going to remove all tears. God is sovereign, all-powerful, and he's perfectly just. He's always right and always good. As we study the word of God, we see that. And the man or woman of faith, slowly and steadfastly on their knees, lamenting to God, grows to learn this. And by his spirit, he teaches us in the midst of evil. And someday he'll punish all evil. What this means is man is free to choose and man chooses evil. Man is responsible for their decisions and will be held accountable for their evil. And yet God is absolutely sovereign. His sovereignty is consistent with his justice and goodness. His sovereignty means that we can have promises like Romans 8 that we preached on in the month of September. That God works all things together for good for all those who love him and are called according to his perfect purpose. If God is for us, who can be against us? But remember that in that portion of Romans 8, he says, as it is written, we are like sheep to be slaughtered. His point is, we are being killed all the day long. But we know in all these things, we are more than conquerors who, through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life or anything will keep us from the love of God because God is in control and he's going to make all things right in the end. Brothers and sisters, we must remember that God is on his throne and he will judge all sin and iniquity and trespasses. That means yours and mine, unless it's covered by the blood of Jesus Christ that he did on the cross. And he will judge all wrongdoers and he will make all things right. And we must Trust that and we must cling to that while we still go on loving and living in a world while there is brokenness. Satan is working overtime in this world, but he is still a pawn of God. He cannot do anything apart from God's ultimate permission. And someday he will be ultimately fully defeated. It's guaranteed by what he did, what God did to Satan and what he accomplished on the cross. Read Colossians 2. My last thing that I want us to end with is faith in God is our life. It's, it's, we're, we, faith is necessary because it, we don't see all these things. We see the sin. We see the decay. We see the struggle. We see the pain. And yet, we see like Habakkuk. It's, it's crumbling down on them. And what? It's going to get worse before it gets better. And yet, God goes... Open your eyes. I'm going to show you a vision, Habakkuk. Open your eyes, Faith Church. I'm going to show you a vision. The earth will be covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. Did you see the Atlantic Ocean when you traveled there? See how wet it was? Full of water? So will be the earth with the glory of God and the knowledge of God. My righteousness which is my glory, my holiness, which is my glory, my power and my beauty, my majesty, my love, 
my wisdom will all be on full display someday and it will cover the entire earth. But my just will live by faith in the meantime. You will steadfastly cling to me. And in fact, I will give you my spirit, the New Testament says, so that you will have the strength to be able to rejoice in suffering. And the world will go, how can you rejoice? When things are so bad and we'll say, the Lord is my strength and my portion. He is my rock, my shield, my defense. He has set me on the high places. He keeps my feet from falling. I rejoice in the Lord, the God of my salvation. I read this this week. The hope of a Christian is incredible and that's what we trust in. Christian, you have no reason to be finally discouraged. You will outlast every trouble that you will ever face. You can be confident of that because of God's promise. God will judge. And He will work all things for the good of His children. He will someday remove all tears, but He will punish all evil doing. And so it compels us to... Trust in this living God. Tell others to repent and believe in this God because judgment is coming. In the meantime, we lament. We look to this great, glorious God who is just and sovereign. And we learn to, as I started with this passage, I started with this definition, to trust God, have faith in his future grace, being satisfied with all that God is for us and promises to be for us in Jesus. Oh, that we would be satisfied this week. Let's pray.